Hello everyone and welcome back to IBM Tech TV. This is the final episode in season one of Intelligent AI. And I have with me IBM's Gabriela de Quiroz. She's a senior leader in machine learning, and she's gonna summarize some of the things that we've seen in season one, as well as talk to us about some of the open source contributions that IBM is currently making to the data and AI space. Let's get started. Gabriela, I'm so glad that you're here on IBM Tech TV. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, it's a pleasure to be here. So as the senior machine learning engineer for IBM, I know that you have a number of people, data scientists, data engineers, who you work with, who I hope would find our programming pertinent. But just to sort of talk about what the season has been so far, we've tried to make intelligent AI useful to practitioners and give sort of the start of a holistic view of the practice. So we spoke to John Thomas and John Thomas talked to us about the pipeline and enabling organizations to build predictive services. And then we went to Upcar and Upcar gave us the hands-on view. Upcar sort of showed us what it looked like to do some of this data science modeling, which was really nice to, to see it live in action. And then Abhijit gave us the success stories of some of the clientels and talked about uh, use cases that were really um, relevant for our audience to better understand what this uh, data science predictive capability could possibly look like. And then we went to Paco and Paco talked about how does machine learning in the cloud sort of change our capabilities. And then we're coming back to you because when I think of uh, machine learning practice generally and someone who can help summarize the space, I, I think I think of Gabriella. So I'm really glad that, again, that you're here joining us. Based off of that introduction, I know that you are someone who talks a lot to data scientists who are getting into the field and engineers who are trying to pick up the practice. Um, so I kind of want to come from this summary uh, to you and say, where's our, our next goalpost? Yeah, so that's one thing that I, I've been doing throughout my career is uh, not only like applying data science, machine learning, AI, but thinking about how can we you know, decrease this barrier to get into this field, right? Yeah. So that's my 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 the work that I've been doing, and 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 thinking, you know, how can we decrease this barrier? So uh, one example is the work that I do at IBM, where we have a team. I have a team of open source developers, where mm -hmm. one of the goals is to democratize AI, right? Okay. And I know that for the projects that are important to you guys, uh, we've talked about some of the open source projects like Max and Dax. Um, those are sort of some of the ones that I think of as being relevant to lowering those barriers because they make as the data asset exchange and model asset exchange, some of those uh, resources that data scientists might build more available to a developer group. Is Are those the kinds of projects that you mean by what you and your team focus on? Yeah, that's correct. So we have open source that we create, open source projects that I call that are internals that we created, and then we make available to the general public. And then there are other types of open source projects that we contribute to that were not created by us per se, but we contribute on a daily basis. So let me give you an example. So the model asset exchange and the data asset exchange are two big projects that we work on. The model asset, asset exchange is more focused on deep learning and AI on how, okay. how can you deploy deep learning models uh, very easily, like in five minutes. So we have 
kind of like it's a central place for you to find ready-to-use deployment models that are open source and free, right? And then you right. have the data asset exchange, which is uh, a, also like a central place for, for the data sets. And the majority of those data sets co- comes from uh, the IBM research, right? So we right. have almost, I think, 30 data sets. And not only the data sets are there, but they are under a, a friendly license. So you can use in the enterprise mm-hmm. without any issue. And on top of all data sets, we have notebooks. So we show you how to ingest the data, how to analyze the data, how to create models, all using IPython notebooks, for example. And then, um, and then we contribute to IBM research as well. So we work with several projects that comes from the research, uh, such as all the trusted AI umbrella. So the AI app, so the AI, AI Fairness 360, the AIX, yeah. so the explainability one, AIX 360, and then the uh, art, and then fact sheets. So those are the four projects under the Trusted AI umbrella. And, and just art, sh- and art is the adversarial robustness toolkit for those who don't know it. Yeah, exactly. ART, yes. Uh, and they are not, now all um, moved to the Linux Foundation. So we gave the, the you know the Linux Foundation those projects, and and some of the projects that we contribute that are outside IBM. Some examples are PyTorch, TensorFlow, Pandas, Scikit-Learn, Apache Arrow, Apache Spark, and others. Yeah, and there's actually a whole organization within IBM that focuses on these open source projects. It's the Center for Open Source Data and AI Technologies, just to make sure that everyone knows Code 8, because I know we might have some viewers who are not IBM internal. That was a litany of projects that uh, IBM contributes to and that I know that you focus on. Is there an easy way for a data science curious person to sort of dip their toes in those projects, maybe as contributors or as consumers, uh, so that that they can really interact with them? Yeah. Uh, so we have a website so for a code, for example, the Center for Open Source Data and AI Technologies, which is codait.org. Okay. And there you can find all the projects, the Model Asset Exchange, the Data Asset Exchange. We have Elira, which is under code, but it's a different group. Uh, and there are projects that we contribute to Kubeflow as well. And so it's a, it's yeah. a good place to go to. Okay, so that makes a lot of sense. That's a really easy way for people who are curious about those projects to sort of go and understand them. I think that the data asset exchange and model asset exchange are probably targeted to maybe a little different audience from our traditional clientele. Um, because if we look at back at John Thomas's sort of enterprise view, right? They a data scientist in a large enterprise might already have a governed set of data that they have to pull from. But at the very least, if you're an enthusiast. You don't have to spend your time cleaning all these data sets, I imagine, right, in order to make some predictions? Yes, that's correct. And and another point which is interesting, um, some of the projects that I mentioned are now integrated into products. So if you are using products like CloudPack for Data, for example, uh, we have some data sets integrated as external data sources to cloud pack for data. So you, oh. either if you are an IBM you know, user, like IBM product person, uh, you can use our open source projects through that path, or you can use without any product uh, you know, related. So I think this is a really nice transition because the next season of 
intelligent AI, which is, you know, the name of the, the show is being picked up by Kinga. And she's going to talk a lot about AI learning. Um, and AI learning means a lot of different things for, for different people. But at the very least, she is also very keen to talk about lowering barriers for entry to this data science space. Are there groups that people who might be curious about this, you know, learning AI as a practice should turn their focus to, maybe sign up for that, that you're a participant of so that they can be a part of that group? Absolutely. So last year, I started a new organization called AI Inclusive. Okay. Um, so we have a website, ai-inclusive.org. So the idea was, you know, the, our mission is to bring more uh, representative and diversity yeah. into the AI field. Um, and also, like, again, thinking back to the lowering the barrier or the, the entrance to this field. Right. So we, we've been doing some events um, last year. And this year, we have several events coming up where we are streaming via YouTube. So some events are more around uh, where we talk about discrimination, bias, yeah. uh, ethics. And then some events are more hands-on where you are going to learn um, how to use some tools, how to uh program uh it's it's okay. a little bit more like language agnostic in the sense that it's like oh we do sometimes in python we do sometimes in r for example yeah. uh, so i would recommend to check those out uh right now we have two chapters one based in san francisco and one mm -hmm. based in rio de janeiro brazil okay uh, but the idea is to grow and make ai more accessible to everybody Yes. And a critical benefit of that is that by having a more representative group of data scientists, some of these artificial intelligence products that we're building might uh, already have this forethought baked into it of not being biased, right? Models are really only as biased as the people creating them and or their data sets. Um, and I know that it's critical that we enable a new generation of data scientists who are more representative of a population, not just white guys who uh, can prevent these huge problems with bias in those predictions, right? Yeah, correct. Gabriella, one of the things that you've done in the past is make entry into this group of data scientists easy with R ladies, which is just a group specific to the language R, but you've been focusing elsewhere now, right? Yes, exactly. So since last year, I've been focusing more on the AI side. Uh, so making AI more accessible for to everybody and in trying to increase the representation of like minority groups in the AI field. So if you yeah. think about data science, not it's not diverse. AI is even worse, right? Oh. And there are so many things happening in the world where you know the discussions around discrimination, bias, ethics, uh, the implications of the algorithms. They are more centered in the U.S. But yeah. if you go outside the U.S., not much is being talked about, right? Oh. And I think that th the population outside the U.S. is going to be the population that is going to be affected the most. Right. So that's why uh, I've been focusing more on the AI inclusivity in the past few months. So I created an organization called AI Inclusive, and, and you can check the website. Uh, it's ai-inclusive.org, 
and we have chapters in San Francisco, California, and Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. And the goal is, again, to bring more diversity into this, this particular field. And when people come into those groups and sign up and you speak with them as maybe new members for the first time, what are their biggest barriers to being able to do some of the things that you guys want to do? Is it just access? Is it um, resources? What What is it specifically? Yeah, that's an interesting question. So but all of them, right? And plus the technology, right? So like depending where we are talking about, if we are talking about places, let's say Latin America, you know, they have very big problems. Like they don't know, they don't have the basic, they don't have computers, they don't have internet. So like, how are they going to enter into the AI or the tech field if they don't have the basic, right? So once they have this, the basic one, then uh, we bring the discussion back to them and make them aware of like all the implications, uh, everything that's happening on the AI um, fields, uh, everything that is happening around discrimination, again, bias. And and then the, the other piece is, can we provide resources? Because mm. usually those populations or that population is underserved also in terms yeah. of like resources. So can we, you know, get them on board into this boat where they can learn about the technology, uh, they can change careers, they can enter into this field, and so on. Yeah. One of the things I know I take for granted is access to those resources, right? And some of that is just free resources in the education sphere that I happen to have participated in, right? Some of the um, groups that I know from Stanford, for example, they put put out a lot of free resources, but that's local to me, you know, those, those groups that you're talking about don't, don't have access to those things. Exactly. And the majority of those resources are in English. So like, right. Exactly. In, in places like Latin America, and I'm mentioning Latin America because I'm from Brazil. Yeah. So it's a, it's, it's some, it's a place that I care a lot about. Uh, so then like, let's say if you want to get into this field, you have at least two barriers, like <laughs> on top of like everything else that I said. So you have the English barrier. Sure. And you have the tech barrier as well. So like how, yeah. even though like we have resources like, like from, from Stanford and other schools, they are all in English. So yeah. someone that wants to get into this, they have to learn English oh, yeah. so they can understand. So it's, it's a lot of work that we have to do uh, around this. Yeah. And I'm sure one of those things that feels like a virtuous cycle to me, which is that I consume those resources and then want to provide stuff back to the community in the languages that I know and appreciate if you're not already a part of that virtuous cycle, you're sort of being left behind. There's there's not a lot of equity in that, right? Yeah, exactly. So Gabriela, we've been talking about how people can get access to these resources and some of the projects that are important to IBM, as well as summarizing some of our historical view, maybe, uh, of IBM clients and, and projects and products. But I am really curious what you have to say about what's coming next. Where do you see the field going? Yeah, so I have a few opinions around this. So first of all, the data science field, you know, it's been a hot area for so long, for so many years. Yeah. And and more and more, I've seen more um, specialized data scientists. So where yeah. before, you know, there was all this idea about the unicorn, right? Where you had to, you had to, 
know everything. Like you yeah. had to know all the technologies, all the languages, uh, and, and so all the methodologies and so on. So the way I see it's like the more and more we are getting more specialized, kind mm-hmm. of like similar to a soft engineer where you have someone working on the back end, the front end, doing more this framework, the other frameworks. Sure. So I think the data science is going to be, you know, more and more on that direction. Uh, more specialized. The other thing that I think it's going to change is, you know, the whole thing around, again, discrimination, ethics, bias. Yeah. Uh, we as a data scientist, we have to be aware of this more and more and also like educate ourselves on this. And also the teams are going to be even more diverse in terms mm-hmm. of like, you know, not only data scientists are going to be embabbed in our team, but more like, you know, uh, philosophers or psychologists where, oh, they, where they are going to bring this ethics point of view that yeah. we as a data scientist, we were not trained trained to think about. So, so that's how I see, uh, you know, we are going to have even like a larger group of like th- people thinking about the problems and not just like, oh, give me this data. I'm going to create this model. But like, I have to think like, how is this model going to affect the, sure. the population? And then think yeah. the whole, the whole population, not just like, you know, like one part of the population. Right. So that's kind of yeah. like how I see the future of like the data science, uh, role. Well, that's hopeful and even aspirational. So I, I, I definitely wish that to be the case because it's historically been a sort of in, uh, interdisciplinary field. People from all sorts of verticals or specialties come to data scientists and say, I need to analyze this trend in some forum. But then the data science team tends to work in isolation, right? It's, it's not really then after that a full interdisciplinary team in so much as it is an interdisciplinary practice. Do you think that's sort of uh, an accurate view of the history of the practice? Yeah, exactly. And and I think until now, if you had like a different background, you had to learn data science, like everything to become a data right. scientist. So again, I don't think, I think that the, the, the field is going to evolve. And then you as a philosopher, you don't have to be trained on the whole, you know, curriculum of data science to be on the data science team. Yeah. And I think that one of the things that hopefully that that will bring about is that we'll get into a practice of people being able to understand which problems to apply data science to. Because one of the questions I think that we haven't been able to answer sufficiently is how to earn the correct returns on the investments in these projects because people don't select them very well, right? But if you've brought in more viewpoints and are wise about how you select the problems to try and solve, um, maybe that problem is minimized. Right. Yeah. Gabriella, I know that you have a number of data scientists and data engineers on your team who you're probably advising about their next career steps and where they should consider sort of taking themselves, you know, their skill sets. Uh, and I'm, it might be specific to IBM, but I'm kind of curious what advice you give them. Yeah. I talk to them a lot about like leading projects 
you know, so they can experience being a tech lead or even like if they want to become a manager later on in their lives. Mm-hmm. So I try to get them exposed on like leading small projects and, uh, you know, projects that they feel comfortable with. And mm-hmm. I know that they are going to succeed. So I get them exposed to this uh, leadership track as well as, you know, showing them uh what are other opportunities that we have? Uh, examples are like, you know, now that you are a tech lead, uh, we should look for other opportunities. So is there, are there other opportunities uh, inside the company or other teams that we can collaborate and take, take on more projects as well? So I try to give them this, you know, exposure and also like trying to make them independent as well so they don't have to be waiting for me to 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 say what to do but they are more proactive right yeah no that makes a lot of sense and i know that when people come to me and ask about getting into the data science field um and you know some alums will come if they have sort of a data analyst background and ask me for whatever reason uh, how do i become a a more uh, marketable data scientist and in a parallel version of that i tell them the projects are really nice because they give you a shared understanding and way to talk about your expertise. Um, so then it makes sense that for once you've actually been in industry, for people who have been working for a while, like your mentees, then being that project lead is a really nice next step. Um, and it gives them sort of a concrete thing to try and achieve as they've already proven themselves capable data scientists. Yeah, correct. And even like the management, right? So uh, yeah. Some of them will not follow the management track, for example, but I want I want them to get exposed so at least they know what it is or it, what it takes to become a manager, right? Yeah. So uh, one interesting thing about this is which, you know, we see that happening in, in several organizations is you have one of your team members uh being very successful, right? Yeah. And then, and then you're like, oh, this person's successful. Maybe I should promote that person to a manager, but that person doesn't want to be a manager, right? <laughs> so right. then you get that happy person, you know, being very successful. And then you put that person in a, in a role that they are not happy and they're yeah. not going to succeed. So, but it's, I think it's important to get them exposed so they can see later on, oh, I want to try this out or I don't. Right. Let them make the decision themselves. Right. Instead of like me imposing, oh, you should do this. It's definitely not the case that all individual contributors are great individual managers, right? Yes. Gabriela de Carros, thank you so much for participating in IBM Tech TV to help summarize what we've seen so far this season and talk about sort of next steps for our data science audience. I really appreciate your participation. Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me. All right. Thanks, Gabriela. I hope that you guys enjoyed my conversation today with Gabriella. It was a very insightful conversation for me personally and gave me a nice wrap on our first season of IBM's Intelligent AI. Our hope with the show was that we were gonna help practitioners better understand the space and the types of things that they need to ask for and enable themselves on in order to be as productive as possible. If that's the case, please come back for season two of Tech TV where our new host, Kinga, We'll speak to leaders in the data science education space, as well as leaders in the AI industry broadly, in order to build an understanding of the types of skill sets that are really in demand for this current moment in data science. Thank you so much again, everyone. I really appreciate your time, and I'm sure that I'll see you soon.